0: Good morning, church. How is everybody? Well, I'm going to start off this morning by telling you about a pastor. Um, He's really close to God, and he had this message laid on his heart, and he felt like he really needed to study all week, really hard, because he wanted to preach a really good message that Sunday. And when Sunday came, he preached his message, and he felt he did an amazing job in transmitting God's word. And as was custom in their church, he was at the back... Cong- of the congregation hall at the doors, there was a recession line, and he was greeting people as they left. When out of the corner of his eye, he noticed this young man who seemed out of place. And as the young man got up to him to shake his hand, he looked him dead in the eye and said, Awful, just awful. And he went by, and the pastor was a little discouraged, thinking, What was that all about? But he forgot it quickly. And he started shaking more hands, and then he noticed the young man was back in line again. And what could he want? And the young man got to the pastor and he said, Worst ever. (laughs) And he went by him again. Pastor, a little more discouraged this time. Couldn't figure him out, but he had to keep his mind on, on the task at hand and kept shaking hands. When for the third time, he sees this kid out of the corner of his eye in the line. And the kid came up to him, shook his hand, looked him dead in the eye, and said, Sorriest excuse for a sermon ever. Now, the pastor was pretty discouraged. And this little old lady who had been watching the interactions on the sideline thought, maybe I better go encourage this pastor, right? So she goes up to him and says, pastor, don't be so discouraged. Why the long-faced? He doesn't even mean what he really says. And the pastor looks at her, are you sure? How do you know that? She says, I'm pretty sure. He's just repeating what he heard everyone else was saying. <laughs> I'm really excited this morning to share with you what I've learned about regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration is very important for all believers to understand. Now, some of you might be saying, what is regeneration? Uh, Well, regeneration is just a big fancy Christianese word for being born again. Regeneration is how Christ, our God, renews our soul. Now, I want to open up the subject by asking some questions that will gear our minds towards this subject uh, that we'll be studying in the scriptures this morning. What difference does believing in Jesus Christ make in a person's life? How does it make a difference? If a person who did not believe comes to believe, what else changes? Many people are asking this question, and I don't think me or you are saying that the only difference between a person who goes to heaven and a person who goes to hell is that the person who goes to heaven believes something different than the person who goes to hell. Is that what we evangelical Christians are saying? Is that what we're saying? Or is there something else that makes a person in Christ different from a person who belongs to the world? Is it just a difference of belief? Because remember, even the devil, the devil believes. And if it's more than that, what more? What makes a Christian different? Or to frame the question in another way, the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone whom believes, Romans 1.16. Power means that there's more than forgiveness going on in the gifts that God has given us in the gospel. Forgiveness comes from his love, his grace, and his mercy. But alongside that, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. What, Christian, has happened in your life that could only be explained by the intervention of God's power? Clearly, that's what the gospel involves. Or here's another question, a different one. We celebrated Easter a few months back about what Christ accomplished on the cross. He cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. Jesus saves us through his atoning death and his resurrection. How does all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, how does that become effective in a person's life? Well, the answer to that is it becomes effective in a person's life as a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and as a person repents. It becomes effective through repentance and faith, but that only raises another question. How is it possible for a person who is dead in the trespasses and sins, how is it possible for that person to repent and believe? Let me give you some scripture just to frame this for you. Romans 8, 7 says that the sinful, sinful mind is hostile toward God. That is the mind with which you were born with, the mind with which I was born with. Our human nature, our nature by default in our fallen humanity is hostile towards God. Now, how in the world does a mind that is hostile toward God, that is the mind you were born with, the mind I was born with, how does that mind come to believe God and to trust him? How could that happen? Jesus says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. In other words, by nature, every one of us was born with an instinctive love for darkness rather than light because darkness is so much more comfortable to us because of the nature of our deeds. Now, here's the question How can men or women who love darkness come to love God who is nothing but light and in whom there is no darkness at all? How's that going to happen if by nature we love darkness? The Bible says that the human heart, deceitful, twisted, warped, desperately wicked, above all other things. How then came repentance and faith from a a deceitful heart? How's that going to happen? And if the human heart, if the nature with which you were born with, with which I was born with, is incapable of producing faith and repentance, how in all the world will anybody be saved? Now, the answer to that, folks, all these questions is found in this one word that we're going to look at this morning, regeneration, a wonderful truth of how God renews your soul. It is perhaps the most neglected and least understood dimension of our salvation most Christians, I believe, understand fairly well justification by which Jesus shed blood, paid for our sins on the cross, and we were made right with the Father. I'm sure we understand that pretty well. And many Christians understand, well, glorification by which one day Lord Jesus will take us home and we will be like him when we see him. We understand that. But many Christians don't understand, well, regeneration. That is the work of God where he changes your soul. So that with a new mind and a new heart, you'll love him, and you'll trust him, and you'll follow after him freely. That's what regeneration is about, how God renews your soul. Now, not so much for for what he does for you, as in forgiveness. It's something that he does in you. Now, one sermon on this doctrine will barely scratch the surface of the doctrine, but what I hope to do... It's to teach a bit of this doctrine, and I hope it will make you see that it is an important part of our salvation and that it will mot- motivate you to study this more on your own. This doctrine is fundamental to the whole of our Christian life. Now, let's start here. Now, where in the Bible do we read about regeneration, that big fancy word, Christianese? Well, the first thing to say is that if you have the N-I- NIV, you won't find the word anywhere at all. And for me, that makes the NIV a step down, and, but <laughs> I forgive them. But you will find it in just about every other major translation of the Bible. You will find it in Titus chapter 3, I called to worship, verse 5. Let's turn there now if you want, and you'll see it. It says, when the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us by the washing of rebirth, that's the NIV, that's that's where the word regeneration regeneration is, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it to you in another translation, the NASB. He saved us by the washing of regeneration, there's the word, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, ESV. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit and to kick a dead horse, King James Version. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Titus 3.5 says regeneration is how Christ saves us. So it is very important. What does it mean? Well, we get a clue, and this is a mind-blowing clue, as to what it means by the one place the Bible uses this word also. Uh, the word regeneration is used directly in the New Testament Again, in every other translation but the NIV, and that is Matthew 19.28. And I quote here from the NASB. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says here in Matthew 19.28, he speaks about the new heaven and the new earth. I'm excited. He says, "'Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel.'" Now, think about what Jesus is describing here. He's talking about the glorious day when this pain and suffering-filled planet will be so marvelously renewed and recreated, the new heaven and the new earth, this tired old world afflicted with the effects of Adam's sin, heaving in its suffering and in its pain. It will be changed so that the planet itself reflects the glory of Christ's redeeming work. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 8, 21. The whole creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And when the Lord Jesus Christ, in, in Matthew 19, 28, is describing the new heaven and the new earth, the glory of the planet redeemed, so that it no longer reflects the hideous marks of Adam's fallen to sin, but rather reflects the glorious marks of our Lord Jesus Christ and his triumph on the cross, the Lord Jesus reaches for a word to describe that. What word does he use? Regeneration. So, regeneration is something wonderful. It involves some, taking something, in this case, the planet that has been devastated by the fall, and making it so new that it reflo- reflects the glory of Christ. Now, please try to take this in. The Bible uses the same word to describe what Jesus does in you. That's amazing, if you ask me. Maybe you're saying, Adrian, this is this all you got? Two verses, not even properly translated in the NIV. No, there's so much more. We're wading here into a whole river of truth that runs through the scriptures. Regeneration is is described in different ways that are more familiar. Um, One is uh, new birth. Uh, Another is new creation, Uh, new heart. Let me just refresh your memory. Uh, some of us will need that in the case of uh, some of us will need reminding about these scriptures that all express this wonderful theme of regeneration. This is what God does to renew your soul as someone who belongs to Him. Probably the best known of all is that of being born again. It really means the same thing. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus says to Nicodemus, John 3:3, 3, 3, No one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Then the Lord Jesus explains in that same chapter that regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. He uses an analogy. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What is regeneration? Regeneration is to be born of the Spirit. That's what the Lord Jesus is talking about. How does this Holy Spirit bring us this new birth? Answer, found in 1 Peter One twenty-three. he does it through the word of God. You you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable fruit, the living and enduring word of God. Peter is using the analogy of how a new life begins. How does a new human life begin? Well, the living seed comes. And not all of the living seed produces new life, but there is no new life without the living seed. So Peter is saying by analogy, how does, the new birth, how does the new birth come? How is spiritual life generated for one who is dead towards God? Well, it is a work of the Holy Spirit in your soul that comes through the living and enduring seed of the word of God. Now, you're probably saying, you're, you're talking about something I know, being born again. Why not just say that at the beginning? Well, I'll tell you, because the words born again in our culture have been terribly abused, There are a million people who don't have the faintest idea of what it means to be born again. Um, There's a pop song that has this line, and don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Lying in your arms, I'm born again. That's what a lot of people believe born again is. Feeling good, feeling better, feeling like i got some hope now. And you know, there are many in our culture who refer to themselves as born-again Christians, and they have no love for Christ, and they live no differently from the world. If you go into other parts of the world, and you will find a lot of people who think born-again is an American kind of Christian. So the reality is that we are awash with this born-again language, and that is either widely misunderstood or not understood at all. And what I hope we can grasp this morning is a wonderful and a biblical grasp of what it is that Jesus Christ has done in your soul, if you are a Christian. Regeneration is what it really means to be a new person in Christ, born from above, born of the spirit, changed on the inside so so that you're no longer who you were or what you were. Because in the New Testament, the new birth is a miracle on such a scale that it could only be compared to the recreation of the new heaven and the new earth. The Bible also speaks of this as being a new creation, and I'm sure most of you know this well, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The New Testament speaks about it being new life. Ephesians 2, verse 5. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So it is by grace that you have been saved. If you are in Christ, this is what has happened to you. It is the most glorious thing that has ever happened to you in your life. God has made you alive. A spiritual resurrection has taken place in your life. You are not who you were. There has been a change in your soul. You have been regenerated. The Old Testament puts it this way. It's a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 25, and uh, 26 really set up side by side the great blessings of the gospel. Blessings, plural. There's the promise of forgiveness. And it's it goes, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And that's the promise of forgiveness. And it's marvelous. You will be clean. You will be washed. You will be forgiven. You will be made pure. Then notice what he says next. I will give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That's the new birth. Notice all the I wills. God's taking responsibility. I will. I will. That's regeneration. So what then is this regeneration? Well, the simplest of all definitions would be it is how God renews your soul. It is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in you. So think of it this way. Forgiveness is what he does for you, and regeneration is what he does in you. It's Christ changing your soul. It's very important that we understand it's how Christ changes our soul not how Christ changes your life there's a very big distinction and it's important to get this if when people return, refer to their lives they're talking about the things they do or the things that happen to them what's happening in your life well it goes something like this you're born you take your first steps You go to school, first day of school, it's exciting. Graduate to middle school, get to high school, Uh, take up um, a hobby or a sport, fall in love, get your heart broken, Uh, find a job, lose a job, go to college, find the love of your life, get married, have some kids, lose your career, start another one, Uh, retire, get sick, old, and then you die. Well, it's a little like that. That's your life. The things that are happening to you, you can put whatever you want into that list. What's happening to you? What are you doing? That's your life. If your life are these things, the things you're doing are the things that are happening to you, then what's your soul? It's the you that are doing these things, or the you that these things are happening to. It's that inner self, if you will. That's a very important distinction. See, Christians often say, and it's not wrong to say this, but we say, you know, Jesus will change your life. And I think when people hear us say that, this is what they hear. They hear something like, oh, good, Jesus is going to change my life. So that means, uh, so, so that means Jesus will change what's happening to me. So if I come to Jesus, that means presumably, I'm gonna meet the right girl, I'm gonna get a better new job, and I'm gonna recover from this illness. Jesus is gonna change my life. My friends, this is not the promise of the gospel. Regeneration doesn't mean God is gonna change what is happening to you. Regeneration is a change in the you, the core you, that these things are happening to. Important distinction. We're all concerned about what's happening in our lives. Of course we are, but God is supremely concerned about the you to whom these things are happening, your soul. See, Christians face the same experiences as everyone else, the same experiences of sickness and death, employment and unemployment, bereavement. We live with the same dangers. We face the same temptations as others. We live with the same pressures and the same struggles as people who are not Christians. Life is what it is. As Christ's regenerating work does not lie in changing the things that are happening to you, Christ's regenerating work is into changing the you to whom these things are happening. That's what matters, your soul, who you really are. This is a wonderful subject. Now, I want to make one main observation about regeneration this morning. Regeneration is God's work in us that births our work in him. Dr. Wade Grudem, a professor that taught for many years, says this. In the work of regeneration, we play no active role at all. Instead, it is totally God's work. Let me say that again. In the work of regeneration, we play no active role at all. Instead, it is totally God's work. And that is an important point. He's making the point that in many aspects of our salvation, like repenting and believing, we do play an active role. But he's he's saying that when it comes to regeneration, we play no active part at all. Regeneration is totally a work of God. Now, if you'll think back to what has already been said on the subject from the Word of God, you're probably thinking, of course, it has to be, because being born isn't something you do. It's something that happens to you. Besides, since the Bible tells us we're dead in our trespasses and sins, obviously the dead can't give life to themselves. We can't participate in bringing ourselves to spiritual life, only God can give new life to the dead. And indeed, when we look at the scriptures that pertain to this theme, we continue to see that it's God's work, and it's God's work alone. From the example in Ezekiel, God says, "I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I am the one who will remove from you the heart of stone." Isn't that a great promise? He'll do, deal with the stony heart, and He'll move us into the direction of his laws. Regeneration. In the New Testament, is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. John 3.8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You don't control the wind. I don't control the wind. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's sovereign work. It is also God's gift. James 1.18 says, he chose, that is, God chose to give us birth. And how did he do it? Through the word of truth, so that we may be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now, here's a question That as soon as we begin thinking about regeneration and how it's God's work to bring new life from our spiritual death and to transform a soul that by nature is hostile to him, who loves darkness more than light and is twisted and deceitful and desperately wicked, how does what God alone does relate to what we do, which is to believe the gospel and repent? How does the thing that God alone does connect with the thing in which we are active and which we are engaged that's a very important question, and of course, it has been debated by Christians down through the years, and perhaps always will be. But I, I'd like you to turn your attention to John 1. It was read this morning, where I think these things are more, most clearly brought together. The work of believing in which we are involved, and the work of regenerating which God does alone. If you turn to John 1, verses 12 and 13, this is a very important ver- verses for this uh, topic. You'll see the apostle brings the two right next to each other. Notice what he says. To all who received him, that is Christ. There is something we do. We are actively involved in that. Think back to when you received Christ. To those who believed in his name, now there's something else we are actively involved in. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us to do that. He gave them the right to become children of God. Quite clearly, the ones who become children of God are the ones who receive him and to the ones who believe in him. But then John says something else that is very important about these children. He says, these children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or of a hum- husband's will, but they are born of God. God. You see how important this scripture is because he is bringing together these two critical truths, believing in Jesus Christ, something which we are active in, and being born again, something which God does alone. And by bringing them together, he is making it very clear that they happen at the same time, though obviously they happen in very different ways. Regeneration is a work that God does on his own. Faith, believing in the work, I mean, in the Lord Jesus Christ is a work which you and I are involved. And these two things happen together. They are never to be separated. And John is telling us here that those who believe in his name become God's children. But then he's telling us that you become God's children, not of a human decision, but how they are born of God. So there's this ancient illustration that I find very helpful, and I offer it to you today. Think of a sunrise. I, I'm sure, when's the last time anyone saw a hot sunrise? Yesterday morning? This morning? Anyone? No. I haven't seen a sunrise in a while. But this illustration goes that a sun rises, and when the sun rises, there is light. Never one without the other. Never, ever one without the other, and they cannot be separated. You would say that it's light out because the sun rises. You would never say the sun rises because it's light out. That just doesn't make any sense, does it? Now, I want you to understand that regeneration is like the sun rising. Faith is like the light that it brings. They happen together at the same time. In other words, behind all believing, especially behind your believing, and my believing, if you're in Christ, behind our believing is a miracle of God's regenerating grace. I want you to see that, what God has done in you, and to rejoice in that. That's why I'm saying that regeneration is God's work in us that bursts our work in him. Now, have you seen this miracle of God's grace in your own life? Really? I want you to really think about this. If we are taking seriously what the Bible says about how we are born by nature, how in all the world did someone like you, someone like me, how in all the world did you who is dead in your trespasses and sins, you who were born with a heart that loves darkness more than light, how in all the world would you be sitting here today as someone who loves Christ and believes the gospel and wants to be more holy than you are? What possible explanation is there of that? And there's only one possible explanation. That God has done an amazing work of regenerating grace in you. That when you see it, it will become the greatest joy in your life. That behind your belief is a work of God that is beyond anything I can explain. The New Testament is telling me that it is so great that it can only be compared to the recreation of the heavens and the earth. But there are so many Christians that have never really seen what it means to be saved and live in this kind of netherworld of gloom in which they feel God is still to be somewhat far off. If you are in Jesus Christ, God has done in you the most amazing miracle, and when you see it, you'll want to sing, you'll want to rejoice. You have a sense of overwhelming glory of God's grace that has penetrated into the very core of your being. Thank God for it. Where would my sinful nature have taken, it, taken me if it weren't for God's regenerating grace? Where would your nature of you today if it was not that God had stepped in and changed your soul so that you love Christ, believe, believe the gospel, and want to be more holy than you are? That's a miracle. It's a miracle of his redeeming grace. I want us to catch the wonder and glory of the saving work of Jesus Christ here this morning, that he saved us by the washing of regeneration. That's what he's done for those of you who are in Christ Here's one of the last things as I begin to wrap up. There's an obvious question. If you're in Christ and you see this, you will begin to rejoice in it and it will lift you in a whole bigger and different way in what it means to be saved. That's if you're Christian. But in fact, if you're not, you may be asking this question right now. It's the natural question that arises at this point. Okay, I see that regeneration sounds wonderful but it hasn't happened to me. You're telling me that it's God's work, and you're telling me it's God's work alone, so what can I do about it? If regeneration is something that God does, what hope is there for me? Now, that's a very good question for us Christians to grasp for our evangelism, too, and, and it's absolutely the right question, and it's a question to which the Bible gives a crystal clear answer. I want all of us who, who belong to Christ and those of us who don't, to see the answer clearly. So let's turn back to John 3 to show you just one more thing here. Jesus says in this marvelous conversation with Nicodemus, starting in verse 6, he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is very sharp he comes back with uh, the obvious response. How can this be? You're telling me to be born again. That's impossible. It's something that I cannot do. That's exactly where we're at now here this morning. He says, I can't do that. I can't do it. Now, I want you to notice where the Lord Jesus takes the conversation. Okay, a person is to be born again, and that, that is not something that we can do ourselves. So where do we go from here? Are we stuck? No. This is where Jesus takes the conversation. Verse 14 to 16. Just as Moses lifted up the stake in the desert, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus takes this conversation where? To the truth about the Son of God, that he was lifted up on the cross to die, and that if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. No hesitations, no caveats, no exclusions. Whoever believes in him will not perish. You see, that's the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified, risen. Put your faith in him, our Savior, our Lord and Master, and you will be saved. That's the gospel. By the way, just so we see, this isn't an isolated incident case. The same thing happens in Acts 16. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to paraphrase it quickly. Paul is in prison, God sends an earthquake. That makes the walls crumble, and the jailer absolutely terrified, knowing that if Paul escapes, it's more than his life is worth, and sensing the greatness and the glory of God, he asked Paul, "What must I do to be saved?" And I want you to notice what Paul, notice that Paul doesn't say to him, "You must be born again," because that doesn't just takes you to the dead end. You see where we're at. By the way, please understand this because sometimes Christians are confused. "You must be born again" is not the gospel. You say to someone that you must be born again, you're merely telling them of the impossibility of them achieving their own salvation. You're taking them to a dead end. So Paul does not say to say you must be born again. What does he say? He says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what you gotta do. That's the gospel you see. Christ crucified, Christ risen. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now you're probably saying, wait a minute here. Didn't you just say that I'm dead in my trespasses and sins? Didn't you just say I love darkness and that my heart was desperately wicked? So isn't this God asking me to do something I cannot do? Let me give you one more picture, also from the the New Testament, that has really helped me. And I hope it might help you also. Mark 3 illustrates with an occasion where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Must have been amazing to watch Jesus teach in the synagogue. But he was up front, and he noticed out of the crowd. He just picked this man out of the crowd. And up comes this man with a withered hand. Stands beside Jesus. And Mark records that Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand. Now, he has a withered, dysfunctional hand, and he got called up front there with Jesus in front of this whole congregation. He doesn't know Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and says, I can run. I can skip. I can jump. You could ask me to do anything, but that's the one thing I can't do, Jesus. Why would you ask me to do the one thing I can't do? And he could have argued all night. They could have gone back and forth. Jesus, stretch out your hand. I can't do it. Jesus, stretch out your hand. Could have went on all night. Everyone would have left the congregation and they would have been still going at it. And the man would never have been changed. Or he could have been called up there and he could have said, Jesus, are you kidding me? Are you mocking me? Look at my hand. You know that's the one thing I cannot do. And you call me up in front of all these people. What? Is that my big joke? And he could have left offended, and his life would never have been changed. But instead, Mark records very nicely and very clearly. Jesus said, Stretch out your hand, and the next words are, and he stretched it out. And in that moment, he he knew more about Jesus than he did before. He, he, he did the impossible, and Jesus healed him. And I, want, I, want you, I want you to think what this, what this man was going, going on about on his national tour when he was talking about this miracle that Jesus had performed. Do you think he was going on and saying, remember the day you should have been there the day that I stretched out my hand? Do you, you, you think he was going on like that? No, of course not. He was saying, you should have been there the day Jesus healed me. You should have been there the day Jesus helped me out of my dysfunction, he, the, the day Jesus came into my life. And see, Lord Jesus Christ is standing, he's standing here saying the same to any non-believers, and it's important for our evangelism to hear this message because Jesus says the same thing. And people can argue with Jesus day and night, and they'll never be the same. They can get offended by the call to come to Jesus and walk out, and they will never be changed. But if you'll just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your life will be changed. And I'll tell you something, you won't go through the rest of your life saying, oh, you should have been there the day I believed in Jesus Christ. No, we don't say that. No. You, along with every believer, will find that as soon as you do, you will say that God has done a serious saving work inside of me, and you'll know it, and you'll rejoice in it, and you'll say, I thought I was just believing, and you'll see that something more than believing was happening. Yes, he regenerated your soul. It's glorious. It's marvelous. It's unfathomable. The only other thing in the world that it can be compared to is the new heaven and new earth. That's regeneration. So I want to say to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, if you are in Christ, I want you to begin to open to your mind to the miracle of what he has done in you in saving work of regeneration in your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you all, three in one. And we want you to know that we love you and we come for no other reason than to glorify your name. We thank you for the gifts that you have given us. Uh, We thank you that you give us these gifts freely even when we're not totally faithful or totally all there. But you're there for us always, no matter what. And we want to thank you for the work that you've already done in us and the continuing work that you continue to do in us each and every day. And we want to praise you. We want to praise you as we go out from here. We want to praise you in the city. We want to praise you in our homes. We want to praise you everywhere we go because your name needs to be praised. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: Good morning. Uh, Thank you, Adrian. Uh, We've been regenerated uh, for a purpose, and I wanted to read a verse for you. And I I know you're wondering what we're going to do. Joel and I are going to do something in a minute. Uh, Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of darkness. I, I think in the last month or two, I've become more and more aware, as we see scenarios in our church, of families that have been under attack. Um, a child with addiction, a child going to ER because of severe pain all the time, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, So uh, you're used to us doing things a little different here. Uh, So, uh, what we want to do is we want to take a few minutes uh, to, we won't do Q&A today, get together with three or four other people in the pew, maybe turn around in the pew, and pray for those families. Now, those of you who are on the prayer app know exactly what I'm talking about, because you're seeing the feed. Uh, Two things before we go to prayer. Uh, If you're not on the prayer app and want to be, send me a text and I'll add you to the list. Number one. Number two, we've been regenerated for a purpose. The fight's on. So, it's time to get serious. That's the way I feel about it. Um, So, if you're interested, I would like to also start a fasting group. So, if you're interested in being part of a fasting group, maybe we miss one meal a week, we'll see how the Lord leads uh, send me a text and I'll add you to that list, and we will together fast and pray together and, uh, and take this on. Okay? Um, just so you know, this't isn't, this isn't about Nixon. For me, Nixon was the wake-up call because I'm seeing things. I'm seeing things there. I'm seeing things in some of your lives, some of your families. And, and maybe this was kind of the wake-up call that I needed to say, you know what, guys? Uh, we, we've got to take this serious. We are in a spiritual battle, and Satan doesn't want this church to make a difference. Uh, so the fight's on. Uh, so uh, I'm going to give you some time. Maybe just turn around in the pew, get together with a few people. Go ahead and pray out loud. Pray for those needs that you know about in our church family. And then I'm going to ask Joel to, uh, to, to close in prayer and then we'll get the praise band to come up.